Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we're done with the book. Hallelujah. We've actually done seven episodes, maybe eight, I think, actually. Yep. And we covered from start to finish how we got to write Agile Conversations, bits about each chapter, something to enrich all of them. So we hope listeners are enjoying the book. If you haven't, you can find it at conversationaltransformation.com. You could even buy it from us or, of course, from your favorite bookseller. And when you do that, if you get the audio book, Jeffrey, you were telling me that you're particularly excited about the uh, audio companion, the, the, the text that comes along with the book. Why is that? Well, I think it's, if you, first of all, if you're getting the audiobook, I think it's necessary. The audiobook companion has all of the graphics from the, the book. So you'll, you'll, you'll want that while you listen or for reference later. It also has all the dialogues. Now, the thing is, this was designed for, as a companion to the audiobook, but I actually recommend it to everyone um, as a handy reference, especially for people who are interested in introducing other people to the techniques. It could be a really nice shared artifact for people who are, for example, doing a, a book club reading or are going to do a, a conversational dojo, uh, something like that. But they want to do a practice session, a study group. H having all of the dialogues there and, for example, having people try to score them the, the before and compare that to our scores would be one way to work. So there's a lot of material there for people to work with. The, the audiobook uh, companion is actually 82 pages long by itself. So this really is a tremendous amount of information there. It's available for free from the IT Revolution site. So I do recommend people go take a look at that. Absolutely. And we will have a link in the show notes, as we always do. We had somebody uh, recently saying it would be really nice if you could kind of look up the dialogues that were relevant to you sounds like this would be shorter and faster than uh, trying to flip through the book or uh, fast forward to the right part of the audiobook. So yep. <laughs> sounds very useful. And one of the things that we were doing to talk about the book, of course, is to go to the DevOps London uh, Enterprise Conference, which wasn't, what is it called? DevOps? I never get the name right. DevOps <laughs> Enterprise Summit London. Um, which was only nominally in London because anybody could come from anywhere. We invited some folks from North Carolina who I think got up early so they could participate. And uh, because it was virtual, it was it was very interesting. And and I think we we picked up a lot of interesting ideas there. Jeffrey, did you want to describe some that, that you got? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, a, a bit about uh, uh, DevOps Enterprise Summit London Virtual, uh, or DAS, uh, as people would refer to it. I think it's... A, it, uh, the way that people would normally shorten that kind of a mouthful sure. otherwise. Um, I was actually very uh, impressed by the, the work that the IT Revolution crew and, and, and Gene Kim uh, did in, in presenting this conference. They, they really had done a lot of work to say, how much could they do to try to have a conference experience for people who were virtual? Um, now, we've talked before a bit about the trade-offs uh, and affordances between being in-person and remote. And it, at a conference sort of takes all of that and just blows it up tremendously. And and really, you saw a lot of this at play at, at DOS. On the on the positive side, there were people from all over the world. Uh, there was uh, people who from uh, from Tokyo to California, and I was very pleased that it was actually centered in London in the sense that the time zones were all based on uh, British summertime. So that I was very grateful for. So I could could attend for the weekend. And uh, I actually found it to be a very good and energizing experience. Although it was not the same as going to a normal conference. So, and I think that's what we want to talk about here is some of the, the trade-offs that we saw. And in, in part to see if there's any lessons learned for uh, people uh, in our audience 
and how they might apply this to their own sort of everyday experience of remote working. Because I think there are some some useful takeaways there. Absolutely. And I know I found it um, very difficult to get engaged. I also did not have as much time, not book time off in the way that you did, Jeffrey. But I, I found it at this one and other conferences I've gone to recently that are virtual. I found it very tough, but I think you found it energizing, which is great. I'm really curious. What what did you get from it that I didn't? What was what was working for you that I missed? Yeah, well, I think uh, let me just describe a little bit for audience about how this was run, which is different from some other conferences I've seen. And, and I'm going to focus on on really two elements. And and one is, as speakers, we were asked to record our presentations in advance, and and that's that was a new thing for me. I've certainly I've certainly recorded uh, different presentations before, uh, web webinars and things of that nature, but I've never had it for a conference uh, to go ahead and um, put together a, re a recorded presentation. And I was quite confused by what what we were going to do while the recording was playing. It, it yeah. turned out very well. <laughs> that part did work for me, but it, it seemed odd to me. Here we were going to record it. Were we just going to watch ourselves? Exactly, exactly. And that, and I think that's, that's the first part. And then the second part was this, which is that they had a Slack channel for the conference track. Each conference track was on its own Slack channel. And so what we did while our presentation was playing was go to that Slack channel and we could interact with other people, with the people who just choosing to watch our session at that time. And it wasn't just us. All of the presentations had the speakers there available for interaction during the talk. So it was almost like you could ask a question while the talk was going on, which is not kind of a normal uh, conference behavior. You don't normally stand up in the 12th row and say, but wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, and, and get, a, <laughs> get a response from the speaker, because it would stop the other 100 people or 200 people in the room or whatever it is from hearing. That's right. And, and so this led to a, to a very interesting sort of opt-in interactivity. If you wanted to just be there and be in the audience and immerse yourself in what they were describing as a cinematic experience. And I thought this is a very interesting interaction that I want to come back to. Mm -hmm. They said a, a live conference is a theatrical experience and a virtual conference is a cinematic one. Mm. And I thought that was a very interesting point. And in really they're describing the difference in affordances that you have in your presentation. Uh, though we did try to blur the two and I thought in a way that I really enjoyed. So particularly one of the things that you and I did in our presentation, we really enjoy interacting with the audience. So we people from row 12 don't necessarily uh, stand up and, and shout out uh, answers, unless of course we ask them to. And, and we do often ask people to interact in some way or other when we're speaking. So we, we had in our recording told people, all right, get ready to type, get your hands on the keyboard, make sure you're in the Slack channel because we're going to ask you a question and we want you to, to go there. And, and that was quite fun to have that embedded into the presentation, into the recording, and then be in position to receive it on the other side. And, and I had fun being a bit of a ham and I said, I, I can predict what you're going to type. And many of our listeners will have heard <laughs> us do this one where we say, how do you make a, a decision and what would be the best way to make a consequential decision? And we can always predict what people will say because they always espouse the... Uh, transparency and curiosity that they don't then exhibit. And that made the point very nicely that I could say, I'm, I'm telepathic a week before you're you're doing this, I can predict what you're going to say. And of course I did. Right. So, so that's, I think, enough of a background. I think what we can do here is you, know, you and I can compare and contrast our experiences in two dimensions. One is we were at uh, DOS Las Vegas last October. And so we can say, how did the virtual experience compare to the in-person one? 
and then we can also compare DOS to some to other virtual conferences we've been part of, because you and I have been part of uh, actually a few this year, KitCon and DOS and, and then a, a couple others, and say, from all of that, uh, what do we think that might mean for uh, lessons learned that we can apply to to other remote work? Sure. Um, so let's let's let me start with for you, but scroll like <laughs> Dallas Las Vegas in a sense was a bit of a trial for you. Oh uh, we, gosh, <laughs> I, I, I I actually got physically ill and, and considered leaving Las Vegas because it was just so difficult to be in the casino and with the funny smells and the the loud music and the never I couldn't find the exit. That was actually the most difficult part. <laughs> I couldn't get out of the casino. <laughs> but uh, once we I got out of the casino and got to the actual conference. I found being in person with others was very exciting and energizing, and there were people to talk to about our book. We could sign our book for people in person. They wanted to take pictures with us. Uh, you know, it felt very um, energizing and interesting to be able to give a message to people in person and connect with them. I got none of that from any of the virtual conferences, not specific to does. Uh, I just felt like I was existing in a vacuum. And um, I think part of it was that I wasn't putting forth as much effort as you did, Jeffrey. So I, I, I definitely felt the, the difference in amount of energy that was required. Um, and I, I just, for whatever reason, couldn't summon it. Uh, for these. And uh, so in several cases, including the, the talk we just talked about, where I was really excited about seeing people in the Slack channel and was really interested in what was happening, I felt like I was done. And then all the oxygen went away. There was just I, right. I, kind of done a bunch of interesting stuff. It had happened online and I was still in my kitchen. Right. <laughs> that just did, didn't uh, get me as much uh, connection with others, opportunities to learn more. Th those weren't really working for me. But I, I gather you had a very different experience. Things worked a lot better for you. What did you do differently? I, I did. Uh, one, I think there's a couple of things. And one thing for me is I blocked out the time. And I, I treated the time and space as though it were a physical conference. So I, I, I booked the time off work and uh, cleared my calendar and was available to uh, be involved the whole time. And so that, that meant starting uh, the the first opening remarks are at 8.30 every day. Uh, and then it would go, and there was a happy hour that started, I think, at 5.30 in the evening. And then it turned out there was also Q&A and various sort of Zoom-type things happening uh, after that even. So the, th this is a full day, each day experience. And so some of the good and bad from a normal conference for me happened. Just, I often, at some point, feel quite tired and drained from a conference in, in a good way. Uh, and that happened for me in Dawson because I was involved the entire time. And for me, actually, I there were some elements I enjoyed more about it virtually than in Las Vegas. So the, for example, networking for me felt a lot easier. Uh, there was a, a channel called uh, Happy Hour and I was go there and I could interact. People would sort of opt in and interact. If they said hi, if they were online, they were choosing to interact. And uh, that made it very easy to find those people who were up for a conversation. Whereas at, um, at a normal conference with thousands of people, DOS is a massive conference in Las Vegas, I would be there and could go and um, grab my food and go down to the buffet and be around with other people at you know eight o'clock in the morning. But it wasn't clear who was really up for a conversation, and and I found I found it a bit more difficult to find people. Now I I tried. I would I would go to a table and try to strike up conversations. Um, I would talk to people in the speakers' lounge, or there was a, a pre-conference drink. So I I try to reach out, but I found that in-person um, 
conversations that were actually a bit more difficult for me in some ways than the than the virtual ones because I felt like it was much clearer who was opting in and who was approachable. Uh, in a sense, the lurkers were invisible. So it was almost like you had a room and the only people you could see were other people who were up for talking about the same topic that I was interested in. So there's a trade-off there. Definitely probably lost some things from serendipity, but also gained uh, some ease of interaction for me in some ways. Mm-hmm. It was different, though, than the other conferences. Uh, KitCon, of course, is very different because it's very interactive. Every session is interactive. So you don't have the separation between speaker and audience. But what I found there, and also even more so, uh, it does, and, and the others that we've been to, is that what I really like to do is to go to a talk and then continue a conversation with someone. Oh, you made an interesting point in the questions. Oh, I really disagreed with this. And what do you think? That's my entree. And um, and it may be that I just didn't put forth enough effort to find the locations for it, because all the conferences did have some kind of happy hour-ish kind of thing of some variety. Yes. But it, it it was hard for me to find the right person. You know, I, I, I always make notes to myself at a conference. I'll say, guy in blue shirt has a really <laughs> um, uh, interesting idea. Um, a person in yellow uh, trousers is um, has something interesting I want to talk to them about. And I'll go find them. Yes. It, it, I just found that much more unnatural than uh, that may just be me. Yeah, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting point. It's a fair point. And certainly at a smaller conference like KitCon, uh, I've done that. Even uh, at large conferences like like uh, DAS in Las Vegas, I might stalk one of the speakers <laughs> or, or or even an audience member who that's an interesting question. As you say, I, I might follow them in the hallway. And that's, and that's very nice. I actually did get some of that uh, at DAS Virtual, be, in part because if uh, people were asking questions, there was often threads that would continue. Uh, and people might go and post on a thread from a talk uh, later in the day or even the next day. And people were sharing resources. In fact, one of the things that we'll link to in the show notes is a document of links from uh, DOS London Virtual. These are mostly, most of these are links that I contributed, but some people have added some other ones as well. Uh, and I just came away with it, just a gigantic reading list, not uh, sometimes from the uh, authors, from the speakers. Some of the speakers were sharing um, material related to their talks in the channel. Uh, but a lot of times it was other listeners. People would say, oh, this reminds me of this or that, or have you seen this other item? And I, I was just scarfing up all of these links. In fact, the links that are in this document, and there's lots, I don't know, maybe 50 links. Those are only the ones I didn't actually read during the conference because I was maniacally reading <laughs> the breaks and things like that. Uh, uh, quite a lot of content uh, while the conference was going on. So it was it was really uh, uh, for me it was very interactive, and I could actually um, appreciate it talking to the speakers, as you say, during their conference to say, uh, you know, how did you how did you get started in this? What led you to this? What did you see that made you think of this theory that you're talking about? I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and I can absolutely see that. I, I'm reflecting on it a bit now. I think possibly my general um, overwhelmedness with Slack may have contributed. I have, as listeners may know, um, five or six or seven clients at a time, each of whom has about 50 Slack channels. So I usually <laughs> tell them, uh, just don't try to get me on Slack. Use the phone. It works a lot better. And um, I, I do have a kind of a, a Slack overwhelm. So I wouldn't be naturally going and looking in the threads, for example. I wouldn't be naturally coming and finding those. And I think I might have missed out by not putting forth that extra effort to overcome my, my um, 
aversion or, or overwhelmedness to go and find some of these opportunities in, in a physical conference. They, they found me or I, I could walk up to someone. Right. I, I do think it's relevant that for um, the personal history here is probably different. I have been doing online interaction with people since about 1992. <laughs> That's when I be, that was my first job out of a university. I worked at um, Borland. Uh, some people remember that company. I worked in technical support. And back then, online support meant CompuServe, Bix, and Genie. Mm. <laughs> and I became, I really enjoyed it. I became the online service manager first for languages support and eventually for all of um, technical support for Borland across all the products in about 93. So for, you know, nigh on 30 years, is that right? Can that possibly be true? The, the, your math is correct. Oh my gosh. Uh, I've, I've had sort of significant online interactions with people and that extended into open source um, spaces into mailing lists. Uh, it also, uh, there's been, a, I've spent quite a bit of time in online games, uh, virtual worlds like um, EverQuest, uh, Dark Age of Camelot, World of Warcraft. And so I'm quite used to interacting with people virtually. And I think that uh, that personal history made it easier. And I can see how other people who aren't as familiar with online um, events didn't have, and certainly didn't dedicate the bandwidth to it wouldn't have had the same experience I did. Mm. And just contrasting with that, it occurs to me that, that I, I've done a fair amount of that as well um, for, for at least as long, if not longer. I remember having a, an email account in the, in the late 1980s, and that was a very strange experience um, to encounter email for the first time. But uh, what's different for me is that um, although, for example, I don't play online games, I, I would be likely to, to become uh, very addicted, uh, but I do watch them a lot. So I'm on Twitch fairly often right. and uh, participate a lot. There's a lot of people who I would consider friends who I've never met or even heard uh, who I interact with in that way. But Interesting. Um, the, uh, the, the difference, I think, for me was that um, with that kind of interaction, there's an ongoing relationship. So um, I would be in uh, in Usenet forums. This is from a very long yeah, time yeah. ago, <laughs> and, and I would see the same people over and over again. Some of them were nuts, and it was uh, enter more entertaining to read their posts than than uh, informative. But I got to know the personalities. I think the the greater difficulty for me is um, when there are people that I don't know. It's harder for me to uh, to break in and get started, and and that's the the initial barrier. And I imagine some of our more introverted listeners have that challenge as well. And I think and that I think also might have been a difference. Whereas I um, was able there to in part key in with people like Patrick Dubois and John Willis uh, and uh, John Smart. So people who. Uh, if I've I've spoken to them at previous conferences, <laughs> which is kind mm -hmm. of interesting, I, you have the I ongoing have, relationship. I have the ongoing relationship. John Willis, I've known him. I've, he and I've seen each other at uh, every DevOps days I've been to, which is three or four, and then at DOS last year. So, I, I think that uh, that's a good point that I probably did leverage to some extent and get some comfort from the fact that I, even if I wasn't talking to them directly, that they 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 were involved in the they were about and. Uh, and then I would sort of, if I posted about, you know, pictures of my bread, and by the way, that was one of the interesting things for me is being able to um, bake bread during a conference. <laughs> yes. And it gives you a conversation point. That's actually a very helpful thing. I, I do similar kinds of things in the online communities I'm in. It may not be related to the activity that's going on, but um, having something that helps you stand out and be a little different. Oh, he's the bread guy. What was his name? Yeah. Some, uh, it started with a J. Exactly. That, that's a 
that's a helpful thing to be able to have because it gives you a, a, a way in. Exactly. And so as people reciprocated, the, then they became kind of a, a mini computing. In fact, we had one person who's now joined the conversational transformation or the Agile conversation Slack channel, which we've talked about in the past. Um, from the conference, he was another uh, bread baker. <laughs> so he there was you go. another person who makes bread and is interested in conversations. Like clearly, this is my kind of people that I was able to find. Well, speaking of things being old, this is this is an old concept, right? So this the whole idea goes back at least thirty years, if not more, for both of us. And our our good friend Alistair Coburn analyzed this back in in his dissertation. I can't remember when it was, but we'll put the link in. We, and we take a, a chart from that in, in the book to, to illustrate how much more communication is um, eased by being in person in certain ways and how much the, the intimacy drops off as you, as you move farther and farther from, from in person. Right. So our theory here is that if we contrast our experiences, we can say, all right, if you're going to have remote meetings, uh, you're, you're doing remote work in your company, what lessons can we take from what we were just describing? And I, and I, think, um, there, I think there's many. Uh, and even maybe I'll start with this last point we just made, the, the idea that if you have a, a connection with someone, even if it's not on the same topic, it makes it easier to have a conversation. So this is, I think, a good uh, reason to invest in allowing people to develop the kind of non-work knowledge of each other that they would gain naturally from being uh, co-located. So people in the water cooler chat, typically you might learn a, bit, a little bit about someone's day, their life, their weekend outside of the work. In the virtual world, it's too easy for people to fall in the trap of you, know, you, you only ever talk during meetings and the meetings are only ever about work. And so you never build that other kind of connection. Certainly very difficult. Some of my clients uh, have bots in Slack that connect people for a, a weekly donut or something similar. There's lots yes. of these uh, uh, opportunities and, and uh, things like this are available, but you do have to invest in them. It's not something that you just get for free by sticking people in the same room. That's right. In fact, even and just having the bot isn't enough. We have a similar, we wrote a coffee bot uh, at Tim and have been using it for several years, but it also took some time to, to promote it to people to say, it's worth, this is worth spending time on. And it's worth spending work time on. You know, you're you're expected to do your your coffee meeting during work hours. This is not something that you need to go and cut into your personal time to do. Makes lots of sense. Are any other lessons that you picked up? That that's kind of the main one that I took away is that if I'm going to go to another of these, I should be ready to invest more. And it'd be great if the conference organizers did similar sorts of things as the the does folks did uh, to to try to create those opportunities. Any other lessons you picked up? Yeah, I think I think there is something uh, which is the ability to have follow-on conversations. Um, it's very difficult to have side conversations in a virtual meeting. There's there's typically only one speaker at a time. Whereas if you're in a in a uh, physical space, it can be quite common to have a couple different conversations. You know, hopefully, you know, not in the meeting, but you can you can grab someone and chat with them afterwards. Mm -hmm. What I what I've seen experience for myself and other people is their days now are back to back to back virtual meetings, yeah, with no time to say you know oh hey squirrel do you have a minute can we can we follow up on that point you just made so this mm -hmm. is purely purely topical uh, in, in the same way in conferences I might want to follow a speaker or an audience member out to follow up on something I heard them say that certainly happens to me in meetings in real space also. It might be something very relevant, not to the point of the meeting, but to something other work related. 
mm-hmm. know, hey, I, 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 I you, you told me about this client visit. Can you, can you tell me more? I'd like to hear what else you learned from that client. Or, or even, hey, you, you mentioned that you, uh, you were baking bread at the weekend. Can you give me your recipe? So it can <laughs> sure. even be a non-work thing that helps you to improve the relationship. Yep. Uh, the other thing I think this um, is the dual channel nature. Um, there's something that's happening in audio and video, but also to have something in writing. Uh, in the case uh, of DOS, this was in the Slack channel, which gave us a somewhat persistent record. Now, because it's Slack and these are free accounts for all the attendees, the history doesn't go back further than you know Wednesday at this point. I just checked. <laughs> mm. um, but we, there were shared artifacts. There were places to share links, to, to link in relevant material that's taking advantage of the medium of the affordances of the medium in a way that if you just tried to replicate your in-person meeting virtually you you lose something right you, you by having it virtually you have the ability to add in other material to add in links and whatnot and to capture it you know, are you recording the conversation? Are you recording the meeting and making the recording available later? During the meeting, is there a, a clear chat channel that pe- or a back channel that people can be sharing links for supporting the conversation uh, and, and following up? Uh, one of the things that we've done that works very well is we'll have someone uh, with a shared note document so that multiple people can be writing notes at the same time. Uh, so things like that. I think these are all elements that worked well at, at DOS and that apply very well to uh, the, the virtual world of work that we find ourselves in. That makes lots of sense. Well, I hope listeners have got a, a lot of uh, interesting ideas there if they're going to attend a conference. Maybe some of them are going to uh, organize a conference, but certainly I think we're all participating much more in the virtual world, whether we want to or not, and are going to be for the foreseeable future. So uh, uh, lots of interesting suggestions there about overcoming the resistance and the, the difficulties that you have. Did want to remind folks again that uh, the audiobook companion for the uh, Agile Conversations book is available. It's linked in the show notes. Um, we're surprised by how many people have found that helpful, whether or not they uh, have bought the audiobook, whether or not they bought the book. Uh, it's uh, freely available, so uh, it's got a lot of material in there that uh, you're, you're certainly welcome to have a look at. We also like it when we hear from people about the topics we've been discussing, so if you are struggling with online meetings. If you're headed to a conference and you're looking for some tips, do get in touch. You can find us at conversationaltransformation.com, where you also find links to all kinds of other things that uh, that we're doing and, and exploring, uh, and resources that you can get for free uh, and uh, talk with us uh, further about any of them. And of course, we like it when you subscribe to the podcast. So if you're in iTunes or Spotify or one of those, all of them have some kind of subscribe button. And We've been coming every week for uh, on Wednesday for uh, two years, and so no intention of stopping. So come back and see us again next week. Super. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Squirrel.